0: Chicago
1: to me means tough love. Chicago is a source of inspiration. Hello hello,
0: hello, hello, Chicago. Hey, what's going on? I'm Anthony Valadez and I'm a DJ and radio host from Los Angeles. I've always been a hip hop head and some of my favorite artists of the past couple of years have been folks like Vic Mensa, no name, Joey Perp, Jamila Woods, Saba, and someone I know you've heard of by the name of Chance the Rapper. Now, if you're familiar with these artists, maybe you've noticed they're doing something special. They have a lot in common, and they're all from the same place, Chicago. You're listening to Place in Sound, a podcast exploring cities and their music. This podcast is not about hip-hop per se, but I promise we'll talk a lot about that too. And when we do get to Chance the Rapper and Kanye West, I think you'll have a whole new perspective on their music and how they became the influential artists that they are. So I went to the Windy City to interview artists, journalists, poets, historians, politicians, activists, and people on the street. Guys out here, the girls out here, we grew up with a lot of character. We got a lot of characters out here. So we call people characters.
1: We all know that there's enough space for all of us. So like, we're not afraid to work with each other and share connections.
0: What began as an investigation into a local microcosm of hip hop grew into an eye-opening exploration of how mass migration, politics, and technological breakthroughs shaped life and culture in a city, which at the same time shaped fundamental evolutions of jazz, blues, gospel, rock, house, and the music we listen to today Let's get started. In this episode, we're going to go back in time. More than 100 years ago, to give a little background on some of the historical developments that made Chicago into the city that it is today. Highlighting some of the major shifts and policies that have had a continuing effect on people who live there, and in our case, the art they make. All right, first stop, we're gonna take you to the Chicago History Museum to learn about the city's origins and cultural legacy. My name is John Russick, and I work at the Chicago History Museum. John is the museum's vice president for interpretation and education, where he's worked since 1998. I wanted to know more about the formation of Chicago.
1: Chicago was often referred to as the shock city of America in the 19th century. Chicago is the first American city to really come of age after the revolution. You think about America in 1776, you've got all these East Coast cities that are essentially part of a colonial identity. Chicago's not even a, a twinkle in anybody's eye back then, right? People are thinking about westward expansion, when and if we win the revolution. But Chicago is just a place where two rivers meet a lake. So it's not until much later, early 1800s that people really start to think Chicago is going to be the significant place in the American story. So between the founding of Chicago as an outpost for the American military in 1803, throughout the 19th century, Chicago is one of the most rapidly growing, changing cities in the country.
0: Now you can't talk about the history of Chicago without breaking down the Great Migration.
1: Chicago is a place of growth and industry and a booming part of the American identity. You really see this fundamental shift when the Great Migration begins around the mid-19-teens. You really see this explosion of African Americans coming out of the South, bringing their art, their culture, their families, their identity to Chicago and transforming this city into a place that it really had never been before, a much more multicultural place with a lot more influences. But now it's got these really strong, strong, forces from the South transforming Chicago. Its identity gets changed a lot between, uh, say, 1915 and 1970.
0: So let's put this whole thing into context. The Great Migration brought a massive influx of new residents from the rural South, who changed the city's culture and development forever. And along with their possessions and traditions, these new Chicagoans brought their music with them, which evolved with the city's existing institutions in some amazing ways
1: prior to early 20th century, when the Great Migration really kicks in, there's already a rich history of music, music venues, and popular music happening in Chicago. So African-Americans come to Chicago and really transform that landscape. You've got influences from across the spectrum of the musical movements in America, but primarily you've got uh, Southern jazz and blues coming to Chicago. And that really is a story of transformation that leads to all courses of musical avenues that get started. You've got the development of a rich, multifaceted jazz scene, an incredible explosion of recording studios, in Chicago and a music publishing industry. Now it's an art and culture mecca for America. That's because of these incredible musical influences that come to Chicago.
0: This is King Oliver's Riverside Blues, recorded in 1923. Chicago's impacts on the evolution of jazz cannot be understated.
1: Well, you can't really discuss the influence of American music without talking about Louis Armstrong. Armstrong comes from New Orleans when the music scene is getting closed down there. The districts where the jazz is really growing and getting popularized are breaking up, and he moves with the Great Migration. To Chicago, where a lot of his musical friends and mentors have already come. Chicago was already identified with American jazz music in a way that it had never been outside of New Orleans, which was really the home of that at the time.
0: Those friends and mentors, like Jelly Roll Morton and King Oliver, lead Louis Armstrong's move from Dixieland to Chicago in 1922, when he's invited to join Oliver's Creole Jazz Band, one of the biggest acts in the city. He meets his wife, pianist and singer Lil Hardin, and later forms his first band, The Hot Five. Armstrong starts scatting, and becomes one of the earliest artists to record the new singing style on the song Heebie Jeebies, in
2: 1926.
0: In addition to scat, The Chicago sound, which stands out for its heavy bass and guitar lines, longer solos, songs getting faster, sets the foundation for swing music. And while Armstrong, Earl Hines and Jimmy Noon are ruling the Chicago jazz scene, a high school kid named Nathaniel Adam Coles, later known as Nat King Cole, is sneaking out of the house at night, sitting outside of the clubs and listening to them play.
1: Chicago has all this incredible artistry coming to Chicago. Louis Armstrong comes to Chicago. He transforms that musical scene here, along with King Oliver and a host of other incredible African-American musicians. He eventually moves on, he goes and makes it in New York. part of the American dream for uh, musicians and, and artists. But nevertheless, those years he spends in Chicago honing his craft and making a name for himself are really pivotal in the transformation, not just of his career, but of American jazz music.
0: Here's Jimmy Noon's Apex Club Orchestra with Oh Sister Ain't That Hot, recorded in Chicago's Apex Club in 1928, featuring Earl Hines on piano. Not long after, Chicago plays host to the development of another musical movement that has an even more profound effect on pop culture.
1: A little later, you've got people like Holland Wolf and and Muddy Waters and other blues artists who come out of the Delta, who come to Chicago and bring a folksy sort of blues style with them that in Chicago maybe to compete with the cacophony of urban life. They plug their guitars into amps and they crank it up in a way that they never would have played it back home. And so Chicago becomes the birthplace for an electrified blues music that really hadn't ever been heard anyplace before. Chicago's the home of electric blues in the 50s and the 60s, and that expands out to other urban areas around the country and really transforms not just American music, but music globally because in the 60s you think about those big rock groups that came out of London in the 60s their heroes were not Buddy Holly, their heroes were Holland Wolf and John Lee Hooker and Muddy Waters. They came to Chicago to record at Chess Records where those guys recorded in order to capture that sound, to play with them, to find their own path into American music. What led Zeppelin and the Yardbirds and the Animals, what they were trying to do was emulate American sound that was coming out of Chicago. Here's Muddy Waters'
0: 1954 recording of Hoochie Coochie Man for Chess Records. To get another perspective, I went to the offices of the respected music website Consequence of Sound to talk to staff writer Ren Graves, who we'll be talking to on and off throughout the podcast. Wren explains to me how factors like technology, migration, and community all played a part in birthing the electric blues, and by extension, the British invasion that changed rock and roll forever.
2: The big innovation of Chicago blues, the thing that Chicago did to the blues that wasn't being done elsewhere, or at least the innovation that is most associated with our sound, was the electric guitar and the electric harmonica, which is an innovation necessary because they were playing for more people. In the 40s and 50s, as these blues musicians are coming up, and they're used to playing acoustic guitar, country blues, you have this electric innovation, right? And now when a lot of people think of the blues, they think of, you know, somebody like B.B. King and that electric guitar, or somebody who was even more famous, partially because he was white, Eric Clapton. And he was listening to a lot of the older blues musicians, but like he was very influenced by the specifically the Chicago style, right? Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. So you can trace Eric Clapton's effect on rock and roll, stuff with Cream and Yardbirds and his solo stuff. And you can trace that guitar sound directly to the black musicians who are migrating north.
0: That's the Yardbirds' 1967 song, Drinking Muddy Water, a rework of the Delta Blues standard, Rollin' and Tumblin' made famous by Muddy Waters in 1950. It wasn't just the job opportunities that allowed these early blues musicians to be successful. It was the community in Chicago that took them in and fostered them.
2: The typical path to success in those days was you might go out and be a street musician in markets and fairs in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. And from there, you'd be invited to play at house parties, And so the community really embraced new members and musicians took care of each other, created a home for people who, you know, moving up, didn't know a lot of people here.
0: Now what you just heard here is a recurring theme when I talk to Chicago artists today. Locals taking care of others and creating a community.
2: One of the reasons that rock and roll sounded the way it did is partially because musicians were taking care of each other and attending each other's shows, innovating and drawing in audiences so well that an acoustic guitar can't be heard in the back anymore. So we have to use an electric guitar.
0: That's Howlin' Wolf's influential 1956 song, Smokestack Lightning which was added to the permanent registry at the U.S. Library of Congress in 2009. We're going to take a quick break, but we really hope you are enjoying Place & Sound so far. And if you like what you hear and you want to see us exploring other cities, then follow or subscribe to Place & Sound wherever you listen to podcasts. We recommend tuning in for the best experience. And to hear my full-length conversations with Chicago artists like Vic Mensa and Open Mike Eagle, along with more in-depth interviews with some of today's most interesting artists, search TuneIn Conversation, available only on the TuneIn app. Before the break, we learned how the Great Migration brought jazz and blues to Chicago, and that was just the beginning. While Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf were starting a revolution in secular music, there was something happening in the churches too. Let's take it back to John Rusick at the Chicago History Museum.
1: And at the same time, against the backdrop of all of that, you've got gospel music, another great migration story. Thomas Andrew Dorsey comes out of a little tiny town in Georgia, comes to Chicago to play jazz, and winds up transforming American music through gospel. Bringing that rhythm and sensibility of early blues and jazz to sacred music. And the future of gospel music is really written on the south side of Chicago in just a matter of a few decades by people like Sally Martin and Kenneth Morris and Thomas Andrew Dorsey and, of course, Mahalia Jackson eventually.
0: And gospel music is something that's never really left Chicago. You can hear it in Chance's Sunday Candy. Or you can hear it in Church by B.J. the Chicago Kid. And Kanye has repeatedly incorporated gospel into his music, from Jesus Walks to his recent Sunday service at Coachella in
2: 2019.
0: In the late 60s and 70s, gospel groups like the Staple Singers started crossing over into soul and rhythm and blues, which hip-hop artists would later go on to sample. That was the Staple Singers' 1975 hit Let's Do It Again, sampled here on the remix to Ice Cube's It Was a Good day. And of course, soul music has its own legacy in Chicago, acting as a springboard for the careers of Sam Cooke, Donny Hathaway, and Earth, Wind & Fire. This is Curtis Mayfield's 1972 classic, Push-A-Man, released on Mayfield's own label, Curtom Records, which shaped the sound of Chicago soul in the 60s and 70s. While other musical waves have come and gone through Chicago over the decades, jazz has remained a constant source of musical energy in the city. In the late 1940s, cosmic jazz pioneer Sun Ra, claiming he was an alien missionary from Saturn, made this his home. In fact, he moved there from Alabama. Deeply affected by Chicago's vibrant and multifaceted black political movements, Sun Ra found a community of creatively open artists and thinkers and started to develop a mysterious and idiosyncratic strain of jazz unlike anything else. We're listening to a track from his album, Supersonic Jazz, recorded in Chicago in 1956. And as you can tell, he was definitely ahead of his time. Through the 1950s, Sun Ra and his orchestra would create some of the most experimental avant-garde music the genre has ever seen. And his fusion of Afrocentric philosophy and space-age aesthetics is seen as the bedrock of Afrofuturism. Like Louis Armstrong before him, Sun Ra moved to the East Coast in the 1960s and continued to travel the orchestra across the world but it was in Chicago that he found the freedom and inspiration for his revolutionary work and his experimental legacy continued to resonate there. Just listen to Kanye Collaborators, Sara Creative Partners, who take their name, style and creative philosophy straight from the master himself. Our Jamila Woods recent track, Sun Ra, featuring Chicago rapper, The Mind, who we'll speak with on future episodes. Our Chicago jazz innovator, Makaya McCraven, heard here on his acclaimed 2018 album, Universal Beings. In the mid-1960s, as rock and roll was becoming the main force in popular music, Chicago's jazz community, including former members of Sun Ra's orchestra, joined forces to form an organization called the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, also known as the AACM. It was a musician's collective that was started in 1965 result of kind of the like black liberation movement. These African-American avant-garde musicians didn't have an outlet for their music, so they started an organization to put on their own concerts in the community. That's jazz veteran and AACM member Jeff Parker, who you might also know from the post-rock band Tortoise. We're listening to two tracks off his 2016 album The newbury Jeff credits the AACM for attracting him to Chicago in the early 90s. You know, I had seen Sun Ra and Henry Threadgill and I knew what the AACM was, but it wasn't until I moved there that I became more familiar with the history and how important that organization was in terms of uh, the current landscape of jazz. With the mission of championing and promoting what it coined as great black music, The AACM was a crucial force in fostering and promoting innovative, unrestricted jazz expression, and it remains the oldest active organization of its kind. Scotty McNeese runs International Anthem, a respected Chicago jazz label that works with artists like Micaiah McCraven, Jeff Parker, and Ben Lamar Gay. According to Scotty, The AACM is a prime example of Chicago's creatives branding together.
3: As I understand the story, he started here, you know, and he was doing his thing here. And while he was active here and while he was based here with the orchestra, there was a lot more activity and what people call creative music. And I think that's what they were calling it at the time as well. It was like black jazz musicians, black artists who were doing a decidedly avant-garde kind of music that wasn't really necessarily accepted in the regular jazz clubs. And when the orchestra relocated to Philly, not everyone went. And the guys who started the AACM they were kind of bonding together to kind of keep that vibe going, make sure that there was a space for them to kind of get together and do the kind of weird stuff that they wanted to do that wasn't necessarily accepted by everybody else. So while we may look back at this period as a creative awakening, they were just artists trying to survive. There's a lot of parallels with just kind of alternative structures in music at the time with also alternative structures in activism and community right at the same time in the late 60s with the Panthers and... Afro Cobra, it was almost like a survival mode of creative musicians bonding together to do something. According to Scotty, whether
0: you're talking about the AACM, the Black Panthers, Cosmic Jazz, Gospel, or the Electric
3: Blues, Chicago's musical and cultural legacy is connected by the city itself. All those organizations are very distinctly Chicagoan, you know. In mid-century after the Great Migration, there was a huge boom in black art in the south side, you know, centering around Bronzeville. And I think these, all these things are kind of like different stars in the constellation that kind of all comes from that, you know. And I think that the ripples that people see today and they feel today are still in a lot of ways founded from that and they're very much connected to this, this place. Is the place.
0: This is Sun Ra taking us home on his cosmic spaceship with Space is, Space is the Place. All right, let's recap. What have I learned so far? The more I begin talking to people on the streets, in the studios, and in the record stores in this incredible city, I begin noticing the recurring themes that I first had before I started this journey. Going back to the early 20th century, when migrants searching for a better life first brought their music and traditions to this Midwestern metropolis, Chicago has long been a natural epicenter for innovation, experimentation, and artistic community. From the jazz musicians of New Orleans, who took the art form into new and exciting directions, to the bluesmen of the Mississippi Delta, who amplified their instruments and ended up laying the foundation for rock and roll, Chicago, the place where two rivers meet a lake, has incubated some of the most important evolutions in American music. I asked John Rusick to sum it up in his own words.
1: Chicago has always been like the American startup. It's a place where ideas sort of get vetted and discussed and tried out. When they take root and they become part of the American identity, some measure of those musicians, those artists, stay put and become part of Chicago's ongoing legacy and ongoing identity. But often what we see is those people transition out of Chicago to Europe or they go to New York or they go to LA and they have that national platform expanded there might not be the friendliest or most accepting place in America, but it's one of them. It's actually a place where a lot of people felt like they could get a better chance at a break than maybe where they were from. That's been part of Chicago's legacy in America ever since, that it's a place where people felt like they could go and maybe get a little greater measure of freedom.
0: And we see these same elements shaping Chicago when we get to house music in the 80s, indie rock in the 90s, and hip-hop in the 2000s.
1: There's no way to sort of overemphasize Chicago's influence on American musical identity. It's at the center of that story, and my assumption is is that it'll continue to be going forward.
0: On the next episode of Place & Sound, I explore the socioeconomics, the politics, the challenges, and the realities of life in Chicago, and why a city with such a rich output of music, culture, and art also has a reputation for violence and corruption. All that coming up on Episode 2 of Place & Sound. Place & Sound is created by TuneIn and hosted by yours truly, Anthony Valadez. Our executive producer is Charles Raggio. The podcast is written by Ryan Pinkert and produced by Jenner Pesquoix. Sound engineered and edited by Kevin Corrigan. With additional support from Frank Espar and Andrew Broadhead.